second morning again. The title is Sheep Among Wolves. And if you were to look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, you will find Jesus giving instructions to the twelve as they go out. Similar instructions are found within Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, which is our text this morning. Luke demonstrates that the work of missions is not restricted to the twelve, but rather it points forward to the church's universal mission after the resurrection. Now, after he gives instructions, Jesus prepares them for opposition and persecution. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And in our text, Luke chapter 10, verse 3, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And of course, that's the name of our message. Ship sheep among wolves. Now, sheep among wolves emphasizes the dedicated vulnerability, honesty, and sincerity that ought to exemplify Christ's servants, missionaries, evangelists, teachers, believers in general. We are to be clothed with grace, mercy, kindness, and humility, but also with wisdom, truth, and integrity. We are to keep our attitude and actions pure and harmless, but keep our eyes wide open and be alert and have a sober mind, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must keep our eyes open, always watching. Let's turn our attention to verse 1. The Lord appointed 70 others, sent them in pairs, or some translations, two by two. Now, some will render it 72. Here in the New American Standards, it's 70. But it implies that the 12 did not go on this mission because it says he sent 70 others. So apparently the 12, as far as I can tell, did not go. I'm talking about the 12 apostles did not go on this particular mission to go out and tell others about Christ. Now the Greek word translated there since is the word, is the word apostello. Now that word means sent, the one who was sent. So they're still sent with a commission to represent the Lord. Therefore, they are ambassadors of the king. Did you catch that? They are being sent by him, so they still have a commission from him to go out and tell others about him, to tell them his message. Therefore, they are representing the king, presenting the king's message. They are ambassadors. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We... You and I are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are an ambassador. Not of the United States, you're an ambassador to a great higher 
their only true everlasting kingdom. And that is God's kingdom. You represent the one true king. The only one that will come back to bring true peace. You represent that. And when you speak, the authority and the power does not reside in you. It's because it's his message. I'm just a messenger. I didn't write any of this. God did. This is God's mission. This is God's word. This is his message. Any power I claim is I, I cling to that cross. I give all the glory to God because it's only through him I can do this. Look, he, he says they were sitting pairs. Now on a practical level, that gives support to have someone with you as you go out. Then tell, ye, tell, her, tell others about Christ. However, there is even a more important reason why this was done. Because two witnesses are needed to bring the condemnation that we found in verses 11 through 15 of Luke chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15 says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So you always had to have two witnesses. In fact, we see that in Scripture about church discipline. If Don and I get sideways, I am to go to my brother and try to reconcile. If he doesn't want to, then I take a brother with me and try to reconcile. Him. And finally, the last place you go is before the church, but you take someone with you. I tell you from experience, when I go out and witness, cold, I've done that. I actually go out knocking on doors. It's nice to have someone with you to be there for support. Encouraging one another. Not only were they sit in pairs, but they were sent ahead of him. They are to prepare the way. We, we read the text that they're going every town and place that he was a go, going to go himself. So they're preparing the way. And preparing the way involves praying and seeking the Lord with all their heart. And that's the same for us. We are preparing the way. What are we preparing the way for? His second coming. We are to declare that, yes, he's come. He lived a perfect life. He shed his blood. He laid his life down. He died for our sin. But then on the third day, he rose again. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. But hold on. He is coming again. That is the urgency of the gospel message itself. Be right with God today. Be reconciled to God today because he is coming back. And we have no idea what that might be. And you know, today is my birthday, but it's because I may be a little older or younger than you doesn't mean I have more time or less time. I have to be ready at any given moment. He may come back or he may take me home. You never know what's going to happen. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus speaking, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Something that Roger had no idea I was going to use that text this morning. Don't let your heart be troubled, dear beloved. He's gone. His Holy Spirit's here. But he is preparing a place for you even as I speak. If he's going to prepare a place, he is coming back. You better believe it, he's coming back. 
verse 2. You've probably heard this many a times. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is abundant. The harvest is great. But the laborers or the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, ask, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send that laborers into his harvest. Provision is the point of the prayer Jesus has instructed them to make. Notice, pray that he will send out laborers not into a harvest, but into what? His harvest. God will provide more laborers. Trust that he will send more workers. God will provide all that is needed. They're going to amass a mass field. And they're going out. And they can pray for an easier job, but they're being told to pray and to trust in the provision of God. Notice, it's laborers, not spectators, who are praying for more workers. How dare we ask God for more workers if we're not working ourselves? Too many times Christians ask God for someone to do something that they don't have no desire to do. In other words, God, send more people. May more people come to salvation. And God said, well, I send you every day out to your workplace. How come you're not doing anything? I am a pastor. I'm called to preach God's word. But witnessing to others about Christ is not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a believer in Christ. If I truly believe that God's going to send more workers, then I must be busy about the work myself. Those are verse 3. Did you catch what verse 3 said? I send you out as lambs in the mist or among wolves. This is a very dangerous calling. As they invade enemy territory, they're going to be like these lambs in the midst of wolves. But as long as they rely on the Lord, they will win the battle. So when you go out there and you start talking to people about Jesus, Satan gets mad. He gets upset. He's going to start attacking you. And he'll use anything at his disposal. He'll bring up the past. He'll bring up all these problems that you've had, struggles that you had, anything to deter you or to make it harvest struggle, or to dissuade you, or discourage you from doing the mission that God has called you to do. Has it occurred to you that God knew everything about you in the first place, he still saved you, he still called you, and he still sent you out there to give his message, in spite of what he knows about you? Because in the end, it's not about you and I, is it? It's all about him. He's the one that gives us what we need. That provision once again. Vance Havner. He was a Baptist evangelist from 1901, and he passed away in 1986. In fact, he was a great Southern Baptist evangelist, or what they call revivalists. He said this, quote, Any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes the target of the devil. Most church members do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition, end of quote. What do you think? This is a sanctuary. This is like our, like our headquarters. We can talk about it all day long. And we can 
confess sin, which we should. We should pray to God. We should. We should praise God together. We should. But our mission's out there. That's where he's sending us. Out there. And have you watched the news recently? There's a lot of wolves out there. Like Vance said, if you take Jesus Christ seriously, you'll become a target. But sadly, most people who attend church do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. Reminds me of 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, whole, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the essences of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So I, he, he, he saved me, he has called me so I may proclaim his essences of this one who pulled me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we're doing. Pulling people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Talk about trusting God's provision. Look at verse 4. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes or sandals, and greet no one on the way. This would require discipline and faith for them to do the job. There was an urgency about the work that needed to be done. He didn't want them to be overburdened with extra supplies. Whatever they were wearing is what they were taking, and they would not be delayed by greeting anyone. That's the reason back in those times, Eastern greetings were very long. Most of us, when we say hi to somebody, we walk past somebody before they even say anything. Jerry, you're going to hate me for this. Follow me if you can. No, we're not talking about it. I see Taylor here. I say, hey, Taylor, how are you going? And I say, I'm already past her. She hasn't even responded. How many times do we do that to each other? You're already past the person before you even somebody say, hey, Taylor, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. But an Eastern greeting would be a lot longer than that. So Jesus is telling him, look, don't greet anyone on the way. Get to where you need to go. That's what he's telling them. Don't get prolonged. There's an urgency here. Likewise, as we make plans, we are to trust God that he's going to provide. They are going on a trip to prepare people to meet with Jesus. Beginning of the text, he's sending them to the places where he's going to go. Guess what? He is sending us out because he's coming here. We are to go out and prepare people to meet Jesus. Not to meet our great pastor, not to come to our great church. We are to get people ready to meet Jesus. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Now that's a reference to the household, not to the building itself. That's a typical Old Testament greeting. A more Christianized form would be grace and peace, or grace, mercy, and peace. Why grace first? Because without the grace of God, you can't have peace. <laughs> it's because of the grace of God I have peace, because I have peace with God, and I have peace with you. See how it works? So grace always comes first. Look what he says, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. A man of peace, literally a son of peace, is referring to a believer. Now, I'm not talking about a believer in Christ because Christ hasn't died yet. I'm talking about what they refer to as a God-fearer. This peace is God's peace brought through the mission and ministry of the 70 as they proclaim the good news about Christ. It's not just a feeling of ease or contentment, but an objective reality. 
Paul speaks of such a peace as a result of certification. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, how many of you here have been justified by faith? Say amen. amen. All right. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get peace. You have to have peace with the Creator first, have peace vertically, and then peace will happen horizontally. It doesn't work the other way around. And he says, lastly, there if not... If not a man of peace there will return to you. In other words, the prayer of peace here, this peace, is not effective if faith is not present in the house. He says, stay, remain in that house, eating and drinking what they give you in verse 7. The issue is not whether the food has been offered to idols or if it was clean or not. The Samaritans basically had the same food laws, food laws as the Jews. But table fellowship was very significant in the first century because when you someone invited you to the table, they're welcoming into the family. You're sitting down sharing a meal. We've lost that as Southern Baptists. In fact, we kind of abuse it. We eat for everything. Someone joins the church, we eat. Someone leaves the church, we eat. Someone's baptized, we eat. Someone dies, we eat. Someone is born, we eat. I mean, everything. Every excuse to eat. Even when we go to the movies, what do we do? We eat. Back in those days, eating was very, well, not more significant because they didn't have Walmart down the road to just go grab a meal. I mean, it was very, they grew everything or killed everything that they ate. So to have someone come in and sit at your table in your house, that's welcoming in. In Galatians 2, verses 11 and 12, we find an incident where uh, Paul gets a little upset with Peter. He says, when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking. Because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. All the Jews showed up, and he wanted to be no... See, him eating with the Gentiles, but he accepted them. They're part of God's family. Wait a second, now my Jew brothers are coming. I can't be a part over here, so let me go over here with my Jew brothers. That's what he was doing, and Paul got mad about it. Why are you worried about that? God's knocked down to the vision wall. between He's created one new man through Christ Jesus. He's reminding them, eat and drink what they give you. Look at verse 7. For the laborer is worthy of or deserves his wages. Messengers of the, messengers of the gospel are entitled to keep, are entitled to keep, to keep, to their keep. Now this involves basic necessities, not luxury. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. But then he says in verse 7, last part, do not keep moving from house to house. In other words, don't abuse it for better food and better houses. Don't go around to every house sharing good news and expect them to feed you and take care of you. Do we see the abuse of ministry happening in our day? Don't just let your imagination run with that one. We're not supposed to do that. Don't use it. Don't, don't abuse it in that, in that fashion. Don't manipulate people for your own gain. Look at verse 8. The mission now is an enlarged from individual homes to that of a city or a town. Whatever city town you enter and they receive or welcome you 
eat what is set before you. Be content. No self-seeking. Verse 9, heal those in it who are sick. Now, interesting, back in chapter 9, verse 2, preaching God's kingdom is placed before healing. Well, perhaps healing is placed here first in this context because healings are understood as evidence of God. Does God still heal today? That's not a rhetorical question. Does God still heal today? Yes, he does. What is the greatest miracle that you and I can witness? Raise someone from the dead. I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually. When someone who is lost comes and gives his or her life to Christ and they are raised in newness of life, they become part of the family. We're at any now they're the family. They're forgiven. They are justified in that moment by the precious love of Christ. That, dearly beloved, is the greatest miracle you and I can witness. To see a life changed and watch it spread like wildfire. How many children have I seen pick up the gospel and go home and tell mom and dad about it? Then it spreads more. Goes grandparents, cousins, friends. You know, the gospel goes around our school pretty well. A lot of kids know the gospel. We even have a Bible study club up there. Did you know that? Not us personally as a church, but it's put on by the students. It's a power to change lives. I'm just going to camp here for just a second. I think we need to have laws. Don't get me wrong. Laws are important. But you cannot legislate morality. Congress cannot change the human heart. Only God can do that. That's the problem. We should have laws. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying we should have laws. But laws in by themselves are just treating the, system, the, the, the systems. They're not treating the disease, and disease is sin. Jesus is the only one who took care of that for us. Verse 9. So when they welcome you like that, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Elsewhere, God's kingdom is said to have arrived. Behold, the kingdom of God is near. But in this case, he said, it has come near because Jesus is going to come right behind them as they proclaim the news. Look at verses 10 and following. Whatever city you enter and they do not receive or welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we wipe off and protest against you, yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And we find in verse 12 that the judgment of Sodom will be less severe than the judgment of that city who reject the message of the 70. Now, there will be judged the people of Sodom. But listen. They will be judged less severely than those who are given the opportunity to hear the gospel and reject it. Better you not hear the truth at all than rather to hear the truth and turn your back on it. And in that day, in light of verse 14, designates the final day of judgment. 
Jesus sent them. Just as he's sending you and I as sheep among wolves. We are to obey his call and take the message of salvation to receptive souls that are scattered amid a crowd of hostile challengers. The message we proclaim is one of love and compassion. Sheep are defenseless animals unless they stay near their shepherd. And they have no help of surviving against a pack of wolves. Likewise, the Bible calls us sheep. You know, sheep are not very smart animals to begin with. Who is our shepherd? Jesus. In fact, he's called the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. A benediction. Now the God of peace who brought up the dead, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Equip you in every good thing to do his will. Now imagine right now, probably going on for a while, that God's calling you to something that you're uncomfortable with. It's out of your comfort zone. Or as they say, out of your wheelhouse. But I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. Look in Scripture. He will equip you for what he's called you to do. You have to trust him. You have to trust that he'll provide. He's telling us, look, it's, it's hostile out there. You're going to have people who hate you. Who, he didn't butter, uh, sugarcoat it at all, did he? He, te- he told us straight up how it was going to be. And when you think about the provision of God, recount all the ways and times that he's provided in the past and in here now in the present. Remember what God has promised to do in the future and ask him to send harvesters into his harvest. You know, every day that you and I wake up is a gift from God. Life itself is a demonstration of the provision of God. And there are going to be times, if not already, when it seems faith is not working, people are not receiving the message, and needs are not being met. That, dearly beloved, it's important to trust God and push onward into the new year. This is what we're called to do. I don't know exactly how it's going to flush out, but I have to remain true to the calling because I trust God will provide us for everything that we need. And haven't we seen there the last six years since I've been here see that very thing happen? That wasn't a rhetorical question. <laughs> He's provided for us financially. He's brought workers our way. Everyone who's joined some way, form, or fashion are now working to spread the gospel by teaching, by cooking, by writing letters, making phone calls, text messaging, all that stuff. See, those times we feel like it's not working This is when Jesus says, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. It's here. It has come near and it's here. This new year will have challenges. 
I know I said that one year, and then 2020, I realized three or four weeks later, COVID was going to hit. I don't know what the hell, I have no idea what's going to happen this year. No idea. I know what I like to see happen. I like to see more people come to faith in Christ. I like to see more people join the church. I, I, I like to see our ministry open up even further and wider, helping people find jobs and you know, do that and do classes where teach people how to cook and to can. I mean, it's, it's endless when you start thinking about all the possibilities of what you can do to reach people with the gospel. It goes on and on. But here's the thing. Before we can expect more workers, we have to be working ourselves. So if you're doing that, most of you are, I praise you for that. I want to thank you for that. God thanks you for that. He delights in seeing his people work to build his kingdom. But don't give up. I know in the political climate and the news that we watch, everything's so negative, 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 negative. Prices are going up. Inflation's going up. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? I have, don't have all the answers, but I know we can trust God to see us through. He will provide what we need, not necessarily what we want, but what we need. You think he has brought you this far, Forestburg Baptist, just to let you go away? To fizzle out? You kidding me? All the stuff this church has been through and what challenges we face in the future? No. I'm going to end echoing what the Apostle Paul said many, 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 many years ago. I am fully persuaded, I am convinced that he who started a new work in you will complete it. He will finish. We have to be committed to finish. To fight the good fight. To keep the faith. That is what we're called to do. If you don't know who Jesus is, I invite you this morning to come up. And we'll open up the Bible together. I'll show you and tell you who Jesus is. Perhaps God is leading you to join us here in this local body. I say this all the time. This is not a perfect church. You know how I know that? No, I don't have dirt on nobody. It's because the minute they called me as pastor, they want that reputation right out the window because I'm not perfect. With a perfect amen, you lost it. Because <laughs> said amen, but no one said amen. Maybe you just need some prayer. Maybe you're struggling. He's here, he cares. The worst thing you can do is to sit there and think you're all by yourself. No one loves you. No one understands. No one cares. I'm going to let you down. Your family and friends will let you down. But he will never let you down. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises. Father, as we look at your word, we look back in the Old Testament, all the, the prophecies and promises that were made, and some of them have come to fruition. Father, we, we can see by the Bible that you do keep your word, that you are faithful, even when we're faithless. So, Father, we find ourselves in this moment. We do know that your son's coming again, that that day is rapidly approaching. 
So, Father, search our hearts. See if there is any wicked way in us that we may repent and confess. Father, help us to let go. Help us to fully trust in you. Help us to answer the call you've placed in every one of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.